people don't like leaders. And, and I explained it, I explained it all the time that this is a leaderless revolution. So, so it is spontaneous and it's bottom up. It's purely bottom up. You know, I, I, I was actually lucky because I got to watch your, your lecture at uh, LAU in New York. It was, um, it was available online. And I, I got to see you do your, do your presentation here at San Joseph. And I just wanted to ask you, because I, I noticed that the audience, the, the audience that is most interested in what you're saying can be left-wing, can be right-wing. I mean, it's not, it's not exactly clear. Yeah, I, yeah. See, I see. Okay, so I, I, have, I have this. Uh, when you start looking at complex systems, mm-hmm. uh, bottom-up, you notice that a lot of people who self-define as left-wing, in fact, are not left-wing. Right, right. Uh, because you have to start with a micro. And I give the example of racism mm-hmm. because it's very scale-dependent. So a lot of people claim to be um, claim to be, you know, in favor of immigration and stuff like that. And then you go check on the personal lives and you notice that they've never invited the Pakistani Uber driver to tea. Okay. <laughs> and and so therefore they never uh, hang around people of uh, different uh, different classes or different intellectual uh, uh, levels. The the uh, so you notice they're not performing any uh, kind of social justice around them. <laughs> you see right. personally. Right. And, and so therefore, uh, there is a scale effect. So, and, and without scaling, you cannot analyze anything. They're probably generally in favor of social justice in the, in the macro, but not in the micro. And yes. in a complex system, nothing works in the micro. You know, in the macro, you have to start with the micro, have a structure that starts with the micro. Yes. So this is why a lot of people have to find, like, for example, uh, uh, Arab nationalist, Arab socialist. <laughs> I, I think pretty much you can, if you remove the verbalistic and the nonsense, they're extremely right-wing fascist groups who want to impose and coerce you into an identity, a national identity, a language, especially a dead language. So you realize very quickly that, that you have a lot of fascists disguised as left-wing, taken advantage of it. So once you put the rigorous definition of what is it to be in favor of justice, in favor of some kind of morality, some kind of treatment of others, then no mm-hmm. coercion of others, then you, you, you end up with a very different results. Right. Like for example, people are in favor of, people are right in America and favor of large, uh, favor of large corporations, but against the state. Large corporations are very coercive, you see. Whereas at the same time, the left is in favor of large uh, government, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, weak corporations. But when you think about it, large governments are very coercive because governments are not composed of some abstract entity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something theological. It's composed of bureaucrats, and after a while, bureaucrats they control things. So, so this left-right thing uh, uh, is, is not just unrigorous, but of course, is is, is being uh, manu- you know manipulated by charlatans. And of course, there's effect of scale. So a lot of things got to be looked at. As far as scale, so I explain to people that I vote libertarian at a national level, 
I live in the States, so I vote in the States. Mm. I vote Republican at the state level. <laughs> I vote Democrat at the county level. Right. And I vote, and I vote communist at the municipal level. You see? Right. And it's not, it's, so it's not incompatible. So you have, with, 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 with rational thinking, just that, that at some scale you have to attach a certain collective action to a scale. When you bottom up, you get a, as a localist, that's a something function, bottom up a lot better from top down. And I appreciated the way you, you delineated between complex systems, which is what you're trying to explain, and the day-to-day politics of Lebanon, which is really for the Lebanese to figure out at the end of the day. Yeah, mm. in Lebanon, I mean, you have to look at it structurally. In Lebanon, there were no states uh, before, say, the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Like No large states, no nation states. You had the property of the French king. And then, then you started having the United States of America as a political system. Federation. Um, so you start having federations that were not, there were only two, uh, uh, assisting at the Congress agenda, there were only two democracies and there were federations. Yeah, yeah. Bottom up federations. So bottom up, you produce some kind of a balanced relationship between both individuals within a county and between counties and, of course, between what's canton or states, whatever you want to call it. So that's the more balanced from bottom up. So that's why you had the Congress again. Now, it's, of course, no surprise. And and before, say, before Westphalia, before, of course, you had no states. And, and after that, after Vienna, you start having nation states popping up everywhere, okay, as a as an entity. Yeah. The thing is, so nationalism, which I consider, I consider nationalism, I define nationalism, which is why I'm against both French nationalism and Arab nationalism. All these things that try to eradicate the uh, idiosyncratic behavior of groups in favor of a larger entity. So in other words, there's the end of one view and end of infinity, the the, 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 the nation, and mm. there's nothing in between. So in other words, we, we have direct allegiance to the nation. So nationalism, which to me is very oppressive, associated with fascism and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So nationalism started to rise then. Before that, you had groups who liked one another, uh, people who liked one another in a tribe, and, and things worked rather well in the past. So nationalism brought, it has been very destructive. Yes. And, and uh, so I've had a lot of problems. As a statistician, I started, you know, I studied wars uh, just to show that using more advanced statistical techniques, <laughs> that effectively uh, violence did not drop because of nation state. Or at least did not rise, and I think, of course, mm-hmm. uh, it, it did rise uh, monstrously. And, and let me give you an example: Italy was broken up in statelings and small states, and, and papal states, and a few other areas. Mm-hmm. Same with Germany. Okay. Yes. Yes. Italy in five centuries before we start having people, you know, Italian nationalists, no different from the Arab nationalists. <laughs> and then, of course, they took a language and imposed it on everyone. But the uh, except that the language was 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 more used than than, than, than Arabic. Anyway, so Italy uh, has five centuries, and we can't count anything more than thirty five thousand casualties over five centuries of warfare, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, continuous mm-hmm. warfare. I mean, like I mean, hundreds of wars. Okay, thirty five thousand casualties, and we're not even sure. Uh, the number is not one order of magnitude lower. Just, just to tell you that it was not a wars, but, but not really consequential wars. It was like skirmishes. Yes. Then you had the unification of Italy, and of course the first war, nineteen fourteen, Italy uh, loses six hundred eighty thousand people. Okay. 
Yeah. So 680,000 people were killed by the nation state. But the, okay, so, so but that's actually yeah, that's so a go no, that's a great moment to actually ask you this question. I I said there's yes. there's the persuasion to localism and and most of what you what you shared, and there the almost um, the inherent need for a local solution. And I appreciated how you delivered that because it's not just about language or about geography. You even pointed at a, a newspaper example. Switzerland, the local press is focusing on the, num- the vacuums, if I'm not mistaken, that are cleaning the streets. Issues that are yeah. very, very local. In Lebanese local paper, you'll have somebody preaching a geopolitical ode or a, a platform for something that has to do with things beyond Lebanon. But I, I wanted to ask you, the, this, this example of Switzerland, I'm just curious, to stepping away for a moment and, and looking at it historically, why is that idea, which seems like a reasonable option for Lebanon, why do you think there's so much reluctance towards it? And, it, and, and, and aside from the aside from the slogans of Arabism and all the ideas that have not worked in, in this part of the world, why is there this reluctance to adopt something that works? Okay, because because uh, Switzerland uh, and one thing, okay, from the previous uh, things I was saying mm-hmm. uh, that we have to note is that there were no nation states in Levant, okay, and there practically was was almost no never no nation state in Levant. Yeah, okay? yeah, almost okay. One exception doesn't concern us. Okay, right. So you did have you had city states, you had uh, you had Switzerland. He worked very well and explained the differential between Aleppo standards of living. In relation to Europe, it was vastly wealthier than Eastern Europe. Yes. Aleppo. Yes. Okay. And today, I mean, look at Aleppo compared to uh, Athens or uh, or or any city in Eastern Europe, any, or Kiev. Okay. The point is as follows: People are scared of bottom-up solutions. They're scared of complexity. So usually, the systems build themselves bottom-up, and then yes. someone tries to control them. The Levant was built. Bottom up, sort of, you know, under some Ottoman uh, empire that really didn't care. Right. And then suddenly the Europeans, the French, came and imposed a structure on us that they had not imposed on themselves because it sprang naturally in France. Right. Okay, over centuries of trying to consolidate state power in France unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. So, so they had, the French had been. It really didn't really get centralized to Jiskalistan. I mean, it took really a long time to centralize France. Yes. To Jiskalistan, it took centuries to, 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 to... But they came in and imposed a structure on us. And then the mentality, people, when they study, they went to Sorbonne places, where they learned about the nation-state, which is the latest fad in history. So, I mean, I'm not against nation-states, mm-hmm. say, um, mm-hmm. but, but, but I would favor the smallest possible deliverable state, right. minimum deliverable state, which would be a city-state. And that's what we had in the world. We had, and then the states, of course, can be in a confederation, can have uh, French, it can be France, okay? Tyre mm-hmm. uh, was, was, was always city state. Most was successful. And probably, and the Levant was the wealthiest in history for the longest period of time, although we had absolutely zero resources. Right. Right. I mean, the Levant, the eastern, uh, the, 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 I mean, the, the Phoenician coast, what's well, called the Phoenician coast now, not the Bacon Valley. Yes. Okay. So, so you realize that they have, we had political structures that were bottom up and that worked very well. Okay. And, and then later on, uh, uh, we, we, we had too many educated people trying to put things top down. So, so the rule is things mm-hmm. are built bottom up like America, like other places, built bottom up gradually. 
okay, work well. And Switzerland was built bottom up. So, so it's really it's that it's those two decades of of French rule that thwarted us from what seemed to be what was turning into something like that. Even though the Ottoman system is clearly not the Swiss-like system, but that kind of local arrangement. And in that case, along sectarian lines, but let's say it were to evolve to something else. It's really that it the... It's not just sectarian line. Mm-hmm. It's not just sectarian line. It was yeah. sectarian line, but also they have geographical boundaries. Right, like, right. Like we have the subject of, of this, the subject of that. So, yeah. so it, it, you did not have nations. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Aleppo, you had uh, Aleppo, you had Saida, Beirut later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had uh, Tripoli, of course. You had... Uh, uh, you, you had uh, Antakya, you, you had places, so that, yeah. that, uh, that worked very well. And, yes. and, and then the problem, I mean, you want to know a nation that suffered the most from nation states, what's called Anatolia today. Yeah. And if you want to call it Turkey, feel free that I call it Anatolia, <laughs> because Anatolia was, <laughs> was the most diverse place. That's true. They, they had a lot of, lot of people from Turkish, you had uh, Armenian, you had uh, Kurds, yes. you had the Alevis in the south, who uh-huh. now claim to be Turks, but, but most certain are not. Right. And then you have the, the Greeks, and it was, it was largely Greek and, and on, on, on Western seaboard, plus other other uh, varieties like Pontic Greeks, uh, Georgians, and stuff like that. So and, and so many languages. So and that worked very well, very well under the Ottomans, but then the Greeks had that that someone read textbooks and decided to have a first nation state in the area. <laughs> Okay. So, and and then suddenly they created an identity, a Greek identity, and and I claim that had they not had that group, that thing, it would have been like the Armenians in the Levant, because the Armenians people think that they there was an Armenian state. No, there were Armenian communities largely after Tigran. Mm-hmm. It's not an Armenian state. So today, when I go to Astoria, Queens, you have coffee shops called Apollo, uh, Hercules, uh, stuff like that. But then <laughs> you would have had St. Nicholas, uh, St. Dimitrios, and stuff like that. So I, I asked Dimitrios and stuff like that. It would have been different. So there was no identity, no na- national identity. There was yeah. a tribal, uh, and, and usually linked to religion, but not, but not in a uh, in a secular way. See, yeah, not necessarily in a, in a theological way. So, so Turkey. Then you had Ataturk. Now think about it. Look what happened after uh, after the, the young Turks took power. Mm-hmm. What happened? Is it, is it, okay, a million Armenian deaths, more, more mm-hmm. Syrians were killed. Yeah. Okay. So, so think about it. So the nation state is the enemy of the neighborhood. Okay. So, so it's that Euro- right. the, the, the European model really perverted the political development of this part of the world and gave us a, a different way of governing that has ultimately failed, including Lebanon. But uh, and exactly. I, Why is it that people don't emulate the Swiss model? Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting because that was a natural question. And, and it turned out that when you ask people in Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia is like Lebanon. Yes. Okay, it has very poor uh, regional uh, boundaries, and of course, you know what happened. Yeah. So, the, and, you, and, and by the way, they speak the same language. They claim they don't speak the same language. I mean, the, the distance between their language is smaller than the distance we'd have between northern and southern Lebanon. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, so they speak the same language, they give it different names, different mm-hmm. script. Now, the, uh, the, the, the answer was the Swiss would not. You know, they're not doing any proselytism for, for their uh, system for some reason. 
Mm. They're not like into the into as Napoleon. I know Napoleon. It was Napoleon who said they're making cuckoos. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're too busy making cuckoos. So like, <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not. They don't. Uh, ideas are not their thing. You see. Yeah. So they and they, the Swiss themselves didn't quite understand why the model worked because it was parochial and they were not villains, so they had no idea. And 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 ironically, the person who saved Switzerland and kept it the way it is, Capodistria. Is a person who messed up Greece by centralizing it. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one thing for you, so sure. you people to understand uh, why what I mean, why 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 city states are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most, the two most successful uh, places on the Mediterranean today are Cyprus, East, especially East Central Med, Cyprus, and Malta. Okay? okay. Yeah. And Cyprus is actually more successful than Greece. And Malta is less more successful than Tunisia. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the and then take the Gulf. The most successful place in the Gulf is the United Arab Emirates. And uh, so, so people, it's right in front of them. They realize that that model, not city canton, but, but city states, works much better. But okay, so then let's let's go away from this just a, a step further to just in general the neutrality of a country in a, in a complicated region. Switzerland seems to shine its at its best when when it is able to neutralize itself from regional conflict, whether that's World War One, World War Two, or for that matter any any conflict that would have torn that country apart, they, they neutralized themselves effectively. Uh, Yugoslavia, unsuccessfully in the end, but under Tito, there was a neutrality that was enshrined, and they seemed to be okay in those few decades, ultimately breaking apart. Lebanon has never experienced proper neutrality. Maybe there have been flickers of it every now and then. Had, yeah, we initially have some neutrality, but people are localists. Yeah. That's what it was In the minute... <laughs> Like for a long time, the United States was, uh, I mean, they've been driving to war against their will twice. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, the, and then of course they took it, they developed the taste for it. But, the, uh, but when you look at what things are built bottom up, the, the, the priorities are very different mm-hmm. because you don't mm-hmm. have what I call the moral hazard of having someone in office. Let's say that you're in office. Okay? Yeah. Let's say you're a general uh, Ronnie. Okay, in general, Ronnie. There you go. Okay, so, so, so in general, is someone whose ego compensation, everything is derived from war. Mm-hmm. You know the expression, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. Okay? <laughs> so, so, they, 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 so this, a country that has a bunch of bureaucrats would definitely be dominated by a globalist. Or not globalist in the sense of economic globalism or, or circulation or free circulation of people, but globalist in, in, in that. Uh, talking geopolitics, yeah, it would turn into geopolitics. So the uh, and then of course with uh, with illusion of the grandeur. So it, the mayor of the village, okay, most you know his his obsession is some other person trying to pick a spot. Absolutely, okay? yeah. You won't think of uh, the, the world in view uh, like as the uh, Iraq, uh, Iran uh, versus. Uh, uh, whatever versus Israel, right. the United States, uh, access and they were all saying these terms. Right. Which is how the people, when you talk to them in Switzerland, people don't know the name of the president because they really don't care. They know the name of the mayor. That is absolutely true. Him, okay. Yes. Yeah. And they hate him, okay? Or they know the name of whatever, the council, and they hate the people there. 
So in a way, localism just in itself removes the necessity for any neutrality. It, it is a neutral policy by default when there's local yeah, issues at stake. Yeah, you don't want to waste time, exactly. Yeah. It's not your problem. The, the more you have bureaucrats in power, the less neutral you're likely to be. There's a class of people who call them last gun in the game. Right. That, not just that you have a, a, a bunch of people who they're not interested in the water and the quality of water in the village, okay? Their, mm. their, their mind is on a relationship between powers. But, you know, let me let me ask you then, this is like a, a parallel issue. I, I've never met in, in my recent years in, in attending talks or just in terms of people that insist on speaking the local dialect. I don't know anyone who, is, who has made it a personal issue. You got to talk to people like in the same language that you used to talk to your mother. When you start comparing sentences and what you uh, used to talk to your mother versus what you used to talk to uh, the press... Okay, yes, or, right. Uh, on TV, okay, when you compare them, you realize that, that you're pretty much nine-tenths of language away. I mean, these, these are not languages right. that are mutually understandable. But, but, it, but, but there was something I, 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 was, I was curious about, maybe this is just your opinion on it. Is there any strength in the fact that Lebanese are able to, at a, at a very quick instant, flip Localism in itself, and I hope I'm quoting you right, localism is a structure in itself. So there is a a coherent structure at the very local level, whether it's in language or anything else. And I'm just curious, though, that now is... Is there any strength in, in what Lebanese can do when they speak? Is there any added value to that? Okay, where, where, first, yeah. yeah. So we have had more literature in, uh, in Lebanon, mm-hmm. uh, very little literature written in uh, classical Arabic. Mm-hmm. Okay, because people realize that it's not a language that they use for any useful thing other than uh, speaking parliament, you see? Right. So... It's not a language that you use for functional things. And this is what destroyed, in fact, the, 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 it was bad for Arabic, bad for, for the local language, and, and it forced people to, to, to write to one another or to read books in French or England. Mm. And I know that from my book sales. Yeah. <laughs> I, we the, the last one, and listen, I'm, I was translated in 41 countries. Okay? Mm-hmm. I only have one translation in Lebanon. Okay. More translations in Armenia, okay. Wow. More books were translated in Armenia, so I have so I had one translation in Lebanon as a black swan, and and, and they couldn't sell any books, so I had to buy a thousand and donate it, donate them somewhere, okay, to, to places, and because nobody read it in Arabic. Yeah. And it's the same thing from Morocco to Saudi Arabia. People read in French or English. And, and a lot of uh, statistical uh, people give you data on all the Arabs don't read the Arabs, called the Arab world. They yeah. don't read the uh, books. Uh, they, they, it's, it's not true. It's just they read in English. Right, right. Something you don't find in Greece or in other places in Bulgaria. People prefer to read in local language. Here, educated people read in English or French. So, so can I ask you, in, in, like, what, in, in, in English or French or whatever language it is that's not local would you also or yes. add that would you add that to that top down unnatural no no so what no. no it's very natural to have lingua franca mm-hmm. and in fact the lingua franca of lebanon i mean just to tell you first of all how this arabism fascism is is trying to clean the area lebanon mm-hmm. is not a country that belongs to one culture it is a crossroad mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so culturally it's on the mediterranean they used to own the mediterranean you have a lot of towns 
uh, you know, they communicate one another. It's a fundamentally Mediterranean thing, and it's connected to the Arabian Peninsula because of trade routes. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but not migration. So it is. Uh, so so it is a multicultural place. Okay. Yeah. For a long time, we spoke in Lebanon. Had French words that didn't come from the French. They came from the Turks. A word like Mesiti, or when you hear someone say Mesiti, it's yes. like the French in 20 years changed the vocabulary. No, it didn't come from the French directly. It came from the Turks. And we go to Armenia, they say Mesiti. I think, I, from, I, think, I think even in Iran, yeah. they still say Merci. Yeah, in Turkey, yeah. they say Merci. And yeah. the Turk, I think, got rid of it, was it the Shakur or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. And the Turk got rid of it, but they still say Pardon, Merci, uh, Ascenseur, Coiffeur, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so these words did not come, it came from the fact that any country, take any country, this multicultural, that United States, like the English language, okay? Yeah. The English language has tons of foreign words. Right. And in fact, it has probably more Latin that were inherited from Arab. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The other one you got to realize, so by purifying the language, okay, by forcing you to use a medieval word in place of a modern one because it comes from French, on, on grounds of pseudo, uh, I mean, I understand the French had colonial ambitions in North Africa. Definitely, it's true. Yeah. yeah Whether yeah. they had any in the Levant, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was that. So, whatever it was, for being multicultural, and plus there was a language people I don't know about. It's called Sadir or lingua franca. That was that was a cross language spoken in Mediterranean cities that people understood because of the language of sailors, right? Which had Turkish, Arabic, Greek, uh, Levantine stuff like that. That's it. So, let me tell you the central thing. One day I realized when I was a kid, I, I tried to learn. Um, what is now called Phoenicians, a, uh, a lot of Phoenicians, Punic, Bulgaritic, a lot of things. And, and all of them, I noticed, they, I was a kid, I was maybe like 11, mm-hmm. and, and I realized that you say bet for house. Yes. And I was told that we spoke a language derived from Arabic where a house is bet. No? Okay, so I told myself, listen, uh, uh, maybe I was—I knew I was going to be a statistician or a living person, because I told myself, well, I mean, odds are it's not like we were saying bait for 2,000 years and then suddenly we started saying bait, but it became a different language. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, so, so this, this is how you can look at it. Semitic languages are, it's like, don't come from, it's much more complicated with Semitic languages. They're close to one another and you can confuse one for another. And mm-hmm. when I looked at how linguists make the demarcation between Semitic languages, I realized that they, someone invents some rule of thumb. Okay, then everybody follows it, and then they classify, and it's very political. And then when you go beyond the Levant, there's a continuum, and that continuum doesn't come from uh, from anything except the fact that we're neighbors. We we saw a, a sort of mild attempts at a national language, just it did not materialize. And do you do you think that is simply because of the political problems that Lebanon is going through? Or? It is political mm. and it's dual. Number one, we speak the same language as Syria. And northern Palestine, uh-huh. okay? yeah, the northern Palestinian, uh, but more like uh, northern Syria. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we speak the same language, northern Levantine. So and, and that is a problem. So anyway, we, they speak Arabic and we speak Lebanese. That is that's what the hymnus was. Mm-hmm. But now I've seen so much appetite from Syria to revive their own language and and call it Canaanite. Oh. I think we just speak a dialect of Canaanite. There is momentum in. The- okay. Listen, many more many more Syrians were inside than Lebanese. That's interesting. I'm surprised. Many, many more Syrians, yeah, many more Syrians were inside because they're very they're 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 
they're conscious of, of course, they think it's a version of, uh, um, they make another mistake, you know, they think it descends from Aramaic, it doesn't. But they're very conscious of, uh, of the, the fact that they don't quite speak uh, a language that derived from Arabic or from anything, they gave more to Arabic than if they can talk. Eastern Mediterranean is not the Middle East. This is, you gotta realize, yeah. there is a group. I, the way I divide people is by water. Okay, okay <laughs> yes. you have the North Atlantic, they eat the same crap, okay, and uh, in Boston and on the other side. The Red Sea is the same, same food, same people. Right. The Persian Gulf, on both sides, from India to uh, the same people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you have the Anatolia, the uh, East Med, it's the same, same food, okay, right. same people. Right. And same, it, same looks and same, same behavior, so. You're right. So let's say that's the political disadvantage that we've inherited. Let's yes. fa- fast forward to today and everything that's the, the big subject that everyone's discussing, which is Lebanon's economic collapse. Okay, let's look at the disease first. Okay? Yeah. Uh, the disease is a system because it's sectarian and that doesn't quite work because then they find some kind of uh, harmony at the expense of the small guy. Yeah. Okay? And then they self-define as, as rulers. Okay, so Christian warlord self-define as a ruler of Christians. He doesn't represent all Christians. Okay, mm-hmm. so so the or doesn't represent uh, uh, the people that should not be a long representation. Should not necessarily be a long sectarian lines. That's the first point. Anyway, okay. So yeah, we have a huge amount. The first point is we have a huge amount of corruption. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but not a good kind of corruption. Okay, there's a, uh, I mean, corruption is never good. Is there a good kind? Yeah, what is the good kind? What I mean is the fact that who said, uh, you know, I, I steal, but I deliver. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I that's... Okay. So, he said, that's surprising. If you want someone good, you know, you got to have... So, that was... But in the Roman Empire, it had some corruption. Still, there was always identified corruption as being bad. And in and, and the days when it was accepted, socially accepted, if it hindered economic uh, activity, Mm-hmm. And in Lebanon, it did hinder uh, economic activity. Now you want to figure out where was the corruption. Yeah. The corruption, visibly, was not in the political system, although there was planning. It was anchored deeply in administrations, with all the red tape in the burden they put on you. Okay, so because the dangerous person is never the minister, it's always the, the, the director of the ministry, been there for 30 years. And, and they know how to stop you from doing whatever you want to do. Okay. So these, and, and of course, they, they, they're going to be very legalistic whenever you have a discussion with them, they can slow you down. Okay. So and decentralization takes care of much of the problem. It transfers the, the corruption to the municipality and mm-hmm. you know how to deal with local corruption. Okay, so so even even on the economics, even on the economics, you would advocate for a a really like a a, a, a dismantlement of the way the central bank works and that kind of. I mean, the central. Yeah. Okay, no, let's forget the central bank. We'll get to it later. But okay. The, the central state in Lebanon has destroyed Lebanon. Okay. So, uh, in, in many respects. Okay. So the first one is it hindered economic activity. I mean, you you can. You can and of course, you can see how municipalities, when they try to do things, let's say, exactly, uh, they can deliver electricity. It's like the state cannot. Okay? Right, right. So, so the, uh, the the other problem that we've had is that we started running a small deficit, mm-hmm. and then uh, very quickly the central state became the main borrower in Lebanon. Okay. Yes. Or actually, not the main borrower, the the the. the 
the, the 70% of every penny bond in Lebanon is borrowed by the state. Yeah. Now, the job of the state is to help economic activity, not to crowd out economic activity. So, for example, the state now starts borrowing at 12% in dollars, mm-hmm. central bank in mm-hmm. dollars, mm-hmm. okay, or more than 12% in dollars, and made it practically impossible for anyone to run a business. One, because you have to borrow at a worse rate than the state. And the second one, that investors would, would you know, would, were, were drawn into putting money in, 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 in you know, become passive multi-agency, you see, yes. rather than being active investors. So, and, and, and that is what Islam tried to avoid in Sharia, okay, with, uh, with, with, with Islamic finance, by preventing people from, from engaging in this kind of idle lending, Mm-hmm. Okay, risk free, mm-hmm. riskless island lending, which effectively started with the Romans. I mean, with Babylon and then with the Romans. State. So, become, yeah, just lending to the state. So, you started, it became a Ponzi scheme where you, you uh, where the state now was borrowing to, to pay interest on the interest. Right. So, so, but that's, okay. so that's really because of this, this setup, because Lebanon has been centralized, that is the core of the issue. It's not exactly because oh, okay. the the central borough is already the central state. Yeah. And, and individuals, you know, municipalities may have difficulties borrowing. Consider that our trading partners, and this is why I like this association with Turkey, because we are economically integrated, we are integrated with Turkey. Turkey, mm-hmm. Greece, they're our neighbors, no? But also the people with whom we have uh, uh, commercial exchanges, okay? We value their currency big time. No Lebanese, Lebanese want with, with empty uh, uh, suitcases to Turkey, and the Turks can't afford to come to Lebanon. Right, but okay. So this is an amateur question. I apologize in advance. Yeah. I want to. I want to ask you why doesn't the peg system work? Well, what is? I mean, is is it simply because of an incompetency? Is that it? No, no, no. no. Let me explain. The there are two kind of pegs. There's the peg that uh, there's the peg that you do when you're in Saudi Arabia and you have your system dollars. Exactly. Yeah. To, to avoid confusing people, uh, because all your system and dollars anyway, so you have a peg which is effortless to maintain right. and not risky. Okay, and then you have the second type of peg which was applied in Argentina for a decade mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and tripled the uh, you know the unemployment in Argentina, and of course he abandoned it. The uh, the peg in Argentina was like Lebanon, a weak currency mm. tried to peg. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and you see, I was a foreign exchange trader for a long time, yeah. and and I've seen pegs usually that seen how they break, and usually vastly worse off later than you were before. Okay, whereas when you manage a currency, just like the the uh, there was a European monetary system before the euro, where they were managing currencies within a certain band, mm-hmm. and you had a weak currency like the drachma and the lira and the peseta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and then you have a strong currency like the Swiss, uh, Swiss franc was not part of Europe, there's people indexed to it. Yeah. And the Dutch mark, there's the Dutch mark, and then of course the Dutch guilder, and then you had in the middle the other French. Okay? So you had, and, uh, so they would, they would not, uh, these currency would not devalue sharply, but they can weaken progressively with some kind of cost of living adjustments right. for everyone and no panic. Okay? And, 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 and the band, of course, you'd have devaluation when they would change the band. On the occasion, yeah, okay? yeah. So, so I saw that, and 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 we should have gone that route, okay? Not okay. the one that we had, uh, the, 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 because it made no sense to have a peg, 
Now, we were getting a lot of dollars from the diaspora. Yes. From whatever, okay? Yeah. And the thing starts to lie out. Okay, the first thing to do is you abandon the pipe for a, uh, you know, uh, some kind of devaluation and try to basket, or if you want to peg, peg to the lira, the Turkish lira, peg to the euro, or peg to a basket. <laughs> okay. people, if you peg to, uh, uh, to people you have commercial relationship with, Okay, the yeah. thing becomes is, is healthier than pegging as we were, you know, in, in, in Arkansas. I mean, we're not Lebanon is on the Mediterranean. It's not so, Arkansas. so that's interesting. So even even yeah. even a peg that's pegged to something that we deal with directly is better than what we did. So a peg exactly it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh huh. Because we don't have any commercial commercial exchange. We only have investors coming from Saudi Arabia. Right. Right. Okay. But we did not have any commercial, uh, you, you don't export too much to Saudi Arabia, and you definitely don't import from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, so you don't peg. Uh, so the idea is a weak peg costs money. A strong peg uh, gives you money. Right. You see, a, a weak peg costs money. So yeah. it costs us a lot of money to defend the lira. Yes, yes. And, and, and the other thing is, if you look at the accounts, and, 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 and soon we'll know more, uh, the Lebanese... Uh, Central Bank doesn't have a PNL, so they haven't shown any PNL, uh, and they could probably amortize uh, in that peg over 35 years, which means that we have vastly bigger losses than in from the Central Bank. The the uh, the electricity uh, uh, bill is just a footnote compared to the losses from Central Bank to maintain illusory peg, yeah. and the peg destroyed a lot of industries. I mean, I'm just like uh, uh, I, I know so many factories. Uh, someone, someone had a factory in Lebanon. He moves it to Turkey <laughs> after the Turkish Revolution. Yeah, <laughs> makes yeah. no sense. So, okay, there's another uh, thing. What now? Why am I positive about Lebanon? Particularly from what I've seen from that generation, uh, very positive for a lot of reasons. Number mm. one, that you have uh, uh, people really want to stay there; they don't want to go elsewhere. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And you can understand. I mean, I go back to Lebanon now practically once a month. Okay. Mm. For no other reason than just like I, I, like, I like being there. Yeah. And so, so the other thing is, uh, the second point is, uh, I saw what happened in Turkey after the evaluation and after and in Egypt. Egypt also had an evaluation, and we have a lot of uh, commercial exchange in Egypt, or at least you know uh, we have. Okay? Yeah. And Egypt, uh, the evaluation in Egypt uh, made the country start building. I mean, this is a start building reserve big time. Okay, after mm-hmm. the evaluation. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a bad thing if you manage to prevent the small, uh, middle, the middle class uh, investor and saver from losing uh, all their uh, uh, earning power, uh, all their, 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 their uh, purchasing power. Once the state uh, starts, stops taking away from the resources of the country, you will have a huge uh, pickup in economic activity. Right. And and just, I mean, the these... These rumors about state-imposed capital controls, they haven't gone into effect yet. Banks are doing their own informal measures. Yeah, but they, they are. They are they, we, we have had capital controls now for, about, for several months. It was impossible for an investor to, to pull money out. Right. So we've had that. So, so yeah, and as a matter of fact, it's, first of all, they're necessary, but they're being imposed. Uh, I think what happened is that, so what's happening to the central bankers in Lebanon is that they're sort of like in a state of shock and denial, and, and they, they probably had a tough time getting out of bed. So, so, 
So, so just to, just to fig- understand it yeah. fully, you would post collapse, post Ponzi, you would want a bottom a bottom up restructuring. Not involved directly. I don't want to be involved in that piece of politics, mm-hmm. but I want to you know help with uh, uh, with with the post Ponzi thing mechanism mechanism allocation. Yeah. And that most it's like less than uh, something like uh, less than. Twelve percent of the total deposits in Lebanon. Okay, of, of all these deficits, most of the most of the Lebanese are not should not be affected by them. Yeah. So you have so so the cost under two hundred thousand represent uh, something like uh, twenty billion dollars of the hundred seventy billion in deposits. Okay. So so that should that's good news. Because in any kind of allocation, these people should be spared. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you should have a bail-in where you transfer. You you got to remember that most of the deficit we have in Lebanon is interest on interest. Yes, right, it's right. Like paying interest on interest, so it's like the during the Aussie days. So the, the uh, you have to allocate the losses. Okay, so people made the most amount of money, so you, you can mm-hmm. figure out. You can take the bulk of interest income made in these accounts and from treasury bonds and allocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that should spare. That should spare at least half the Lebanese. I mean, half the I mean, half, I mean, half the, the, uh, the half the uh, accounts. Fifty percent of the deposits are less than one percent of the, the, the deposit. Oh, really? Is it so that? It's it's that. Yeah. It's one percent. One percent owns about fifty percent of deposits. Oh wow! And and half a percent owns about forty percent of deposits, plus or minus five ten percent. I just want to wrap it up by asking you a, a personal question, and it comes comes yeah. uh, it comes to style. I I've never met anyone who is as um, as maybe battle tested on Twitter than you. <laughs> and I want to ask you. Did you did you become this way over time? I mean, because it's to me, it's something new. I noticed that you've taken an, a more aggressive approach to Twitter, or is this something that you've always wanted to do, and now you're shedding uh, all all? Well, I've always been aggressive. Uh, I've always been like this. Okay. Uh, you know, if something doesn't make sense, you say it loud. Yeah. And it has worked for me. It's worked. I, I, in a black swan, I explained where one day the first uh, my, I had a child evaluation where the boss sits down. And, they have to uh, judge you on uh, on a metric that to me was wrong. How often you make money? Because I made money very early, right? right. So I took the, the piece of paper and tore it in front of him on the table. And I looked at him. And the guy was shell shocked. Okay. <laughs> and and I, you know, so that was uh, it worked. You also got to remember one thing: I was jailed in Beirut oh. as a as a child, as a kid for attacking a policeman with slab of concrete during manifestation. During I see. demonstration. Yeah. Okay, so it was a uh, demonstration in the, in the 70s, 75, right before the World War. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, being aggressive, so long as uh, you don't blink, you're okay. <laughs> you know, but I think. Oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. I've heard you say it on occasion that you're friendly with the people and you're forceful against politicians. That you don't, uh, you yeah. don't, yeah. And I think that's that's part of the reason a lot of people still come and, and want to hear what you're saying. I mean, your event yeah, because they yeah. trust you. Another thing I've discovered from cursing, okay, that I was uh, you know subjected to a lot of uh, smears, the smear campaign, 
by Monsanto. They hired a PR firm. Uh, this public information now at the time people will realize and then to attack me. And my, my obsession is firms that get too much power and then they start hiring uh, PR firms and attacking uh, those who uh, probe into their uh, habits and, and risk they transfer to society. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. Monsanto hired PR firm. Yeah. So, and they started attacking me. Now I realized that they were focusing that the idea of cursing online or being rude is uh, makes it easy for them to uh, just focus on that, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And in a way, by attacking me for being rude and uh, egomaniac, narcissistic stuff like that, that have absolutely no meaning and not, <laughs> not true. But I help them by attacking me on that. Make people go to our paper on the Picosary principle that they were exposing Monsanto and GMOs. Mm-hmm. So, so in a way, they mark it. So I realized that if I say about someone he's arrogant. Yeah. It means that he's not a bullshitter. Okay, if I tell this guy's an egomaniac, it means he's not a bullshitter. If the guy's a bullshitter, that's what you say first. I see. No? I see. Yeah. So this is why it worked. So and then you realize that if you if you think you're right, you should not back down. You should keep going. So that's it. If you're attacking people, if they're harmful, and at the same time, you, get, you know, it doesn't prevent you from being nasty by life. But not with that. When you have vested interests by groups, you got to go at them, you know, uh, uh, hard directly, and let the people know that you're not gonna, you, you, you're not gonna back down.